What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, three big stories, three interviews you'll only hear on this podcast. China's surprise loan rate cut, how the once vibrant economic engine is stumbling. Stephen Roach, former longtime Morgan Stanley Asia chairman. China, since the global financial crisis, has accounted for about 35% of the cumulative increase in world GDP. The market's August swoon continues. Penn Wharton professor Jeremy Siegel tells us if he's T-bill and chill. People who tell me, oh my goodness, you know, bonds are as good as stocks. No way for long-run wealth creation. And tipping wars in the Windy City. Chicago restaurateur Scott Weiner on the city's possible move to abolish tips. In a service charge model, unfortunately, a lot of the people that the administration is trying to help are actually going to be hurt and probably make far less. It's Monday, August 21st, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Scott Wapner, along with Joe Kernan and Steve Leisman. Becky and Andrew are off today. There you go. I just, we don't need a three-shot, do we? Uh, what are we going to do? Why not? It's happened before, but now we're going to have to come up with names. Three men and a baby. Mac, can you, uh, I don't know. Who, uh, Manny, Moe, and Jack? Who do you want to be? Manny, Moe, and Jack. Manny, Moe, and Jack like is that. good. Yeah. Hair, hair, no hair. Because we're, bo- we're peppy boys. Three of us. Couple of, I mean, we need some diversity on our, oh, it's just, it's, look we at that. plenty of diversity. All right. All right. Just, I have no hair. Oh, that's right. You have hair? You got the blue shirt. We both we got, got white uh, shirts. Blue ties, black tie. You want me to put my jacket on? I put my, I'll put my jacket on. I don't. I said, if you guys want to wear jackets, I'm chill. Whatever you want. The new tolerant Joe. Huh? The new tolerant Joe. T- what am I going to do? I mean, look what, I, well, you- look what I'm dealing with most days. I mean. <laughs> Overnight, a lighter touch than expected by China's central bank. It lowered one key rate but left another unchanged. Eunice, there's a piece in the journal today that just just blew my mind about about the prospects uh, for China. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that at the end. But but, uh, tell us about what we we were just talking about. Well, the central bank, as you said, uh, lowered a key lending rate by 10 basis points when the market was expecting a 15 basis point cut. This was for the uh, one-year LPR or loan prime rate, which is for a lot of different businesses. But what really surprised people here was that the five-year LPR uh, didn't change at all. And the expectation was that it was going to be a bigger than normal move because that is the rate that uh, mortgages are referenced upon. So uh, with the trouble in the property sector, there was an expectation that the government was going to want to do something. And so that left investors very puzzled. And investors are really caring about the Chinese real estate market because it drives China's growth as well as growth in the rest of the world. There's some really interesting numbers. Uh, Real estate accounts for 25 percent, roughly of GDP. It's a massive store of wealth. 
uh, for the middle class, uh, taking up about 70 percent of household wealth. Uh, so a decline in the real estate market here uh, not only means that you could see a direct hit on property values, but also a wealth effect where uh, people just start to feel poor. Um, in addition to that, the financial sector is heavily exposed. Uh, property accounts for 40 percent collateral held by banks, according to Citi. Now, from the leadership perspective, uh, there might not be a whole lot of options for them to try to manage the crisis uh, because of the concern about the run-up of debt. Over President Xi Jinping's time in office, the uh, debt-to-GDP ratio, Joe, went from 2012 195% to 297% just last year. So you could understand uh, why the authorities here are quite hesitant about the idea of just throwing out a whole bunch of stimulus out there and potentially raising debt even further. I think it was last week, Eunice, I, I, I asked you whether uh, Xi's move away to some extent from private sector and, and capitalism, whether there was you know, some second guessing about that because it, it, it seemed to be focusing on something else. And now I'm wondering, you, you can't lead, you can't, you know, a strong economy is kind of like the, the basis for everything else he wants to do for China in the next five years. And if you don't have that, it, it's like you're, well, it cuts you off at the knees. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I think over decades, the Communist Party um, had been looking at the economy and said that when you have a strong economy, then you have a security and security for the Communist Party. So that has been kind of um, one of the tenets that we've seen over years and years where, you know, a lot of businesses, uh, foreign businesses, American businesses would come here and say, well, at the end of the day, you know, the government's going to push through that infrastructure project or they're going to do whatever is necessary to make sure that the economy is strong here. But um, now it just looks as though the definition of national security is changing under President Xi. So um, it's, uh, it looks as though that the economic, um, obviously for uh, different parts of the, uh, the government, it looks as though the economy is really important. And then, uh, um, and then it, for the, the national security folks, it looks as though um, what their definition is of national security um, it takes precedence. All right, thanks, Eunice. Let's bring in uh, Stephen Roach, former Asia chairman for Morgan Stanley and a senior fellow at Yale University's Jackson Institute of Global Affairs. And I, I, you probably read the piece today, Stephen, and I'm, I'm wondering whether you think it's overdone uh, in the journal. They just say, for decades, China powered its economy by investing in factories, skyscrapers, and roads. It sparked an extraordinary period of growth. Now that model is broken, and, and many economists are saying that what used to be 6 to 8 percent is now going to be 2 to 3 percent, and it, China could look like Japan uh, in the 90s, when we all thought Japan was going to be, you know, a global power forever, and they, they went into, you know, the real estate market busted, and, you know, we had disinflation or deflation for almost 25 years. Well, thanks, Joe, for having me back. Uh, sorry for not wearing a white shirt like the rest of you. But, um, you know, I think we we um, go very far in trying to squeeze um, China into a Japan box or into a autocracy box. It's, it's China's very much a blended economy. Uh, the state still accounts for 30 to 40 percent of the GDP. Uh, it's gone back and forth, as you said, between emphasizing state control and market-based uh, dynamism. It doesn't quite know who it is right now. It, it does pose the risk of some Japanese-like 
uh, uh, concerns, especially in the property sector and the interplay, as Eunice correctly pointed out, with this enormous push of debt-intensive growth. Uh, and uh, the government's policy actions don't really seem to be all that forceful or really have a grip on who China is and what it's going to take to resurrect that type of growth dynamism that all of us have become accustomed to for yeah. so long. I mean, the journal goes as far as to say that it's possible China never passes the U.S., that, that, that they're permanently uh, in second place. The, the other thing which was interesting, since Deng Xiaoping, 25-fold increase in uh, per capita GDP, but only now to $12,000, which doesn't even get them to a high-income country. Japan's 42000 and the United States, 76000 per person. So maybe 800 million people have come out of poverty, but they got a long way to go. Uh, are they going to, is that going to stop, that progress? Well, you've got your finger on, I think, the missing link of the story. The, the journal's um, article this morning focuses on the supply side of the Chinese economy, the infrastructure, the capacity, uh, uh, the roads, the buildings, uh, and of course, the, the housing. But the missing piece is the demand side. The consumer uh, in China still accounts for less than 40% of the GDP, and that, that ratio has been stuck at a low level. And the government now tells us they're focusing on stimulating uh, consumer demand. But quite honestly, uh, they've been saying that for close to 15 years now. They recently put out a new 21-point plan to stimulate consumption, but it, it, it doesn't really touch on the big issue, in my, in my opinion, which is excess fear-driven precautionary saving as an aging society just doesn't have the safety net that it needs uh, to uh, feel secure about future spending prospects. And until the consumer piece comes in, you know, that per capita comparison that you allude to is, is, is not going to converge on higher income norms. It's Scott, it's nice to see you. Um, if, if, there, if there ends up being a Japan-like malaise, as you know, you've discussed with, with Joe and, and you think is a, a somewhat of a possibility, what then does that mean for the global economy and most uh, importantly here in the United States? Well, Scott, um, China, since the global financial crisis, uh, has accounted for about 35% of the cumulative increase in world GDP. So if you've got the major engine of global growth shifting to a decidedly lower uh, pace, then that means barring you know, a new China or a new source of global dynamism that the world itself is going to be growing considerably slower. And that's obviously problematic uh, for us uh, and other uh, nations who have been so heavily dependent on vigorous global growth to drive their economies. But maybe not that big for the U.S. because there are other countries that are bigger. S Stephen, you and I have known each other longer than um, either of us probably care to admit. Um, <laughs> and, and I guess back both in had the day... Hair when <laughs> back in the day, there was an idea. China didn't have to dismantle the state companies because it was going to let the private sector grow up around it and over time, those state companies would become less and less and less. 
she reversed that, right? And, and he decided he was going to support those state companies, not let them go down. And he did worse than that. He ended up suppressing the private sector and, and, and really taking the shine off of that. Do you think that what's happening now with growth, he might rethink his policies here and say, you know what? That was the right way to go. Yeah, it's a fair point, Steve. Um, you know, I think that Xi Jinping is, you know, a complex man and his primary focus is on uh, the survival of the party, the control of the party, uh, and the dominant role the party plays in shaping all aspects of a Chinese society and its system. So for him to do a 180 uh, on his um, uh, shift back to supporting uh, state-owned enterprises would really mean to, um, uh, it, it would be the, the same thing as saying that my, my core premise, uh, my philosophy in driving the nation is wrong. I don't think he is prepared to do that right now. Uh, and, um, you know, I, th I think, you know, that's been a very significant uh, shift and a disappointing one uh, in his um, uh, tenure as leader. We got to go, I guess. But now people think I could see two things. I could see him sort of pulling back China and, and worrying domestically, or I could see him getting even more aggressive. Um, to, there's, n you know, there's no reason to think she will become less popular. And, and, but this isn't going to help. And what does this mean? Taiwan is a goner and, and uh, you know, South China Sea and uh, balloons and buying up farmland. Does it make them more aggressive in, in that regard, Steve? Well, Joe, like like the U.S. and and, uh, and President Biden, China is fixated on security. So you've got yeah. the two largest uh, countries in the world, the two most powerful militaries in the world, both paranoid about uh, security. So many of the issues that you just addressed become uh, more contentious, more uh, an important part of the, the conflict between yeah. these two nations. I just wrote a book about it, uh, and I think that's going to be a lasting problem. Yeah, great. The uh, doomsday clock's at like 11.59 and 48 seconds. Iran has a bomb. Russia, I mean, we're screwed. Uh, Stephen? We're going to end it on that note. Thank you. Good, good to have you. It's a Monday. That high note? Yeah, we're going to end on that high note. We're I'm out of here now. We're goners. We're going to work on a reason for you to get up and get dressed this <laughs> There's morning. no reason. Cheese will be next. Coming up, an update from rain-battered Southern California. And Steve Leesman's headed to Wyoming for the Fed's annual summer camp at Jackson Hole. What Fed Chair Jay Powell will say to the markets, and our own Joe Kernan keeps fighting the bond bulls. This is a stock market channel. That doesn't mean people should only invest in stocks. No, but it kind of does. Squawk Pod will be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today, Joe Kernan is joined by Scott Wapner and Steve Leisman. Here's Joe. Tropical Storm Hillary uh, battering Southern California. Jane Wells joins us live from Palm Springs, where uh, one of my favorite places. I don't, I've seen rain like twice in, in my entire life. It's bizarre, isn't it, Jane? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe, this creek is usually bone dry in August. We're supposed to be in the middle of fire season, but nothing is normal this year. Here in Palm Springs, as we show you some video of us trying to get through a flooded intersection yesterday, uh, they really got walloped. They got record rainfall, three inches in a day. They usually get about five inches in a year. But as California had its first tropical storm warning, there were all kinds of flash flood watches. Uh, Dormant creeks came roaring to life. We had to drive around a massive boulder that toppled down and closed an interstate near the Mexican border. And then nothing says, you know, Southern California disaster more than an overflowing swimming pool. Watch. Hillary is going off the wall now. (laughs) Now, Friday, a farmer sent me this video. South of here, they're trying to get everything out of the ground, bailing alfalfa feed, getting under a tarp before uh, yesterday's rains and just these tornado watches and whipping winds. That's because down in the Imperial Valley, they grow everything, including most of the vegetables Americans eat during the winter. We really started hitting hard with the overtime, uh, running double shifts, um, having asking our employees to, you know, if they'll please work as long as they can to, to prepare the ground and, and get things ready. Uh, Disneyland closed early Saturday. Uh, Sunday baseball games moved to Saturday, although the Chargers still played at SoFi yesterday and lost. Hundreds of flights were canceled. Many schools remain closed today. And we also had a 5.1 earthquake north of Los Angeles and Ojai. Just another day in California, guys, although all things considered, it could have been a whole lot worse. I think that's, uh, that's, that's the takeaway. 5.1 is... Uh... That'll, that's rocking and rolling, but uh, it really get your yeah. attention. Like a six, that's the weird logarithmic scale, Jane. A six is, I think, ten times as strong as a five, right? Yes, it is. It doesn't sound like they had much damage from a five, but a five will definitely wake you up, and there were several aftershocks. Once you get to the six, that's when you start to get some destruction. We both remember that song. I was looking up what it never rains in Southern California. Not everyone remembers that song, but when was that? Never rains. Albert Hammond. That was a one-hit uh, wonder. You know, but, that was. I'm sure that was before my time. But not before my time. Okay, I'll let you have that, Jane. I'll, I'll let you. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have that. 2000. Oh, Barry Manilow sang it too. Barry Manilow sang it. He covered it, I guess. Uh, the first one was 1970. <laughs> 1973, you were just a glimmer in your mother's eye at that point, Jane. Thank uh, you. I, Not I, quite. And I, re- I remember the, uh, the earthquake of 71, Joe. We had oh, a big you do. one then. Where was, where was that one? Because I was in Whittier, I Silmar. think. Uh, Silmar. No, Silmar. Whittier one. was 87. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, I remember, well, the 80, you know why I remember 87? It was right around the market crash. It was like the same week, almost, that, that the stock market crashed, that we had that big earthquake. Go figure. 
All right, Jane Wells, always good. Thank you. Palm Springs, you been? Good place. I've never been. Never been. No. Golf heaven, golf mecca of the world. Never been. PGA West. Yeah. La Quinta. Like to go. La Quinta. Madison Club, vintage, great place. You spent a lot of time there, obviously. A lot of time. A lot of time. I lived in L.A. It's, it's like an hour and a half from L.A. Yeah. West or east. It's weird. All right. Investors bracing for comments from Fed Chair Jay Powell at the annual Jackson Hole Economic Symposium this week. By the way, we're going to have complete coverage of the uh, event beginning on Thursday and Friday. As we kick off the week, though, let's take a look at what investors can expect. Joining us now is Jeremy Siegel, professor at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. Good morning, Professor. Good morning, Steve. Okay, so let's start off with where the economy is now. And, and, and Jeremy, you have an idea here about what's going on with productivity that's I don't know. I don't think people are thinking enough about this. We've had a couple lousy quarters, and then we had a couple really good quarters. Do you think we're really having a productivity surge in this economy? Well, yeah. I mean, and, you know, the last quarter was uh, outside of the few months around the pandemic, the, the best quarter for productivity in uh, in over six years. And if if this quarter, I mean, we've been, you know, I mean, I, I know the St. Louis Fed is way up there. Others are not that high. But, uh, you know, given modest growth in hours and in payroll, it looks like another third quarter boom in productivity. Uh, th th this is really saving Jay Powell. I mean, this is this is the best the best news. I mean, that's how you can have strong GDP growth without pressure on the labor market and really without pressure on on inflation. Um, I mean, you know, that that's the. Uh, uh, the golden ma magic over here. So I think I think that that you know that's really playing into um, uh, what we see in the economy. Why, and by the way, why yields are going up? Also, real GDP growth and real yields. The tips going to two percent is that a way that you should now invest in for wealth? Let me mention two percent a year. It's good. It's the biggest in decades. Um, however. 2% after inflation a year takes 36 years to double your money. At a 20 PE, which you also mentioned, which is right, that's a 5% earnings yield in stocks, the general S&P 500, that takes 14 years to double your money. So by the time you've doubled your money in bonds, you've multiplied your money by five times in stocks. So people who tell me, oh my goodness, you know, Bonds are as good as stocks. No way for long run uh, wealth creation. Let, let's unpack that, Professor, because I think that's important, and it's 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 kind of against my thinking on this, right? Which you is, I look you'd at, like to like bonds, but you can't. I possibly, really want to like bonds. You can't make that case. You, I can't, nobody, I'm going to try. Nobody has ever built wealth, Professor. You're telling me I can see this five juicy percent Ugh. two year note. And I put my money in there. At the end of that period, I'm going to get 5%. And that's going to be 3 percentage points or 2 percentage points higher than the inflation rate. And right. I'm going to be really happy. You're telling me I'm going to be unhappy because I was better off putting my money in stocks. I should ignore those big, fantastic yields on the two-year. First of all, in, in two years, anything can happen. <laughs> we know, we know that. I mean, uh, you know, the stock market could go down 10 or 20%. I'm talking about building longer term wealth. And I'm, I'm saying if you, you know, if particularly if you're young, you're building a retirement account, you're thinking about, you know, your retirement, 
that's what really counts. And, you know, even, you know, 2% is certainly attractive compared to earlier. By the way, when 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 tips came out in 1997, uh, they were three and a half and they went above four. So, I mean, even though two is certainly better than it was 10 years ago, five years be. ago, et cetera, and so on, you know, it isn't all that great compared to history and well below stocks. Uh, you know, the average over 200 years is six and a half, and I'm giving a conservative 5% after inflation rate of return in stocks. You are absolutely right. In two years, you might be very happy with bonds. You might not be happy with bonds. But if over rates 10 years and 30 Jeremy, years, if, if you're rates not go down, be happy with If rates go down, you have nowhere to go. You're stuck yeah. with your stupid 5%. And then, you know, if rates go up, I guess you can reinvest a little and then you can get 6%. But, you know, if you don't want to buy NVIDIA and make, you know, whatever, or, or the Magnificent Seven or something really sexy, you can buy really good companies that have a yield of like 2 or 3% and they raise their dividend every year for 15%. So suddenly the dividend is up to your 5% in a couple of years and you got the capital. Pre it's just no re unless you need a stable part of your portfolio that you know you're going right. to get a return of. Right. But, uh, and if it's not corporate, if it's not treasuries, then you even got to worry about getting your money back anyway if you go out the eat. And you then go you got the, the reinvestor from. Professor, can you handicap this weekend? So you believe that. You don't, you, that I, was I, a devil. I, I, I know. You were just trying I, I, to. I am putting a portion into the do you? I am, I am buying You some, are? But with the cash that I have, I. I, I, I you know, if you put 10 for, grand in, and yeah. I told Kelly this last week, you get four, oh, this is on a longer term, but four, it, it went from four to four and a quarter. That means, you know what that means on 10 grand? If you take your wife out, you can get an appetizer after a, <laughs> after a year, right? If, if but, you're, if well, everybody you're likes an appetizer. Yeah, because instead of $400 that you get on 10 grand, you get $425. It's just like, come on. This is a stock market channel. That doesn't mean people should only invest in stocks. No, but it kind of does. Professor, can you, can you just handicap this week uh, and what you yeah. think Powell should say, what he will say, Where's policy yeah. going and what does that mean for the stock market? Stock market, you know, very, very honestly, Steve, and of course, you follow the Fed so closely. You know, since the three and a half weeks, I guess it is since the last press conference, I don't think a lot has happened that changes the outlook. I, I think he's going to say, you know, we're not, you know, quite done. We're close to the job. Uh, I think he's going to stay very data dependent. Don't forget, we still have a full month with a full month a load of, of uh, data announcements coming out before the September 20th meeting. So he's going to stress that uh, data dependency. Uh, you know, I think there will be a kind of a slightly hawkish uh, tilt because, you know, we're not down to that target. But, uh, you know, honestly, I, I don't, you know, if you want to know the truth, the higher real yields and the higher interest rates are working in his direction towards tightening policy yeah, yeah. without Professor, raising I want Without to cut you off on that real quick. Rate. But here's the thing. If he follows what you talked about at the very beginning of this conversation, that productivity is higher, that we can have stronger growth, lower inflation, and a low unemployment rate, would you tell him that he should not be hiking anymore and that maybe Absolutely. he should think about cutting? Uh, I, I mean, I would be on the alert, but uh, I would say, yeah, you don't, you don't, need, you don't need to hike anymore. Uh, you know, you got tightening on them on that long end uh, since the last meeting um, that uh -huh. uh, and, and when we take a look at all the other, 
indicate, you know, the, the break even between the tips and the 10 year, which is one of their favorite indicators of what 10 in year inflation is going to be. It's 2.3 percent. OK, that's not two zero, but right. My goodness, that's, uh, you know, you take a look at what the market is looking at longer term and seeing those trends. I don't I don't think that's threatening. And and you want to start. Listen, the, the term structure is uninverting. Do you want to invert it more? Yes, you will. If you raise another 25 basis points on the on the Fed fund. Yeah. Professor, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much, Steve. Next, on Squawk Pod, a story for the tip jar. Chicago is the latest gratuity battleground. Restaurateur Scott Weiner weighs in on the Windy City's sub-minimum wage proposal and what work from home means for working lunches. We're seeing a lot of corporate spending. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, you think it's boom time. Mondays and Fridays, it's not quite the same downtime. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Sorry, push on Joe. Up on him, Q. Good morning, investors. No, no, wait a minute. There's a period. Good morning. Investors facing a week of... You're listening to Squawk Pod. Worked anyway. It did, did it? Good morning, investors. <laughs> and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. There was a period. That yeah. one actually was... I think it totally works anyway. It does. Have you... You, you, you know what you could do? Trader? Different. Nope. Good afternoon. Investors, Investors, a whole new thing at noon, right? Isn't it 12.01? Yeah. You? Well, right. 12, I mean. Well, yeah, that's right. Unless they throw it to me late. Yeah. 12.01. <laughs> always come late, like we always do to squawk <laughs> on the street. Uh, we're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Oh, I don't like that three shot, but uh, what are we going to do? Uh, I mean, it's fine. I'm Joe Kernan along with Scott Wapner uh, and Steve Leisman. Andrew and Becky are off today. I do want to tell you, Joe, that I met a golfer. Yeah, you did. Uh-huh. Somebody who you, I'm sure, revere. Who, who that? I can't tell you because it was an off-the-record comment this person made to me who said he likes fly fishing way more than golf. I think that was I'd off probably, the record? It was off, just he, revealed he, it. Well, it was because if it were known, no, by the, the, the person's name. But I mean, why can't you, reveal, known, the golf, why can't you reveal the golfer and just not the message? Because I mean, is the he golfer a famous asked golfer? me to keep it a famous, famous golfer. Can you give me a, an I idea can't, of, I bigger can't, than a bread box? What's his age? What's his approximate his, age? He's, he's older. He's older. So he's what, like a, one of the legendary One of the legendary golfers. And I think it would be bad for his business to, to know that he likes He has a business. Fish. He has a business. Ooh, I just gave that away. A fight over restaurant wages and tipping flaring up in Chicago with implications for the labor force, inflation, and the city's culinary experience. Activists want to end the Windy City's tipped wage system, under which some restaurants are allowed to pay servers less than minimum wage, as long as tips boost their earnings up to or above that level. But some restaurant owners are getting a little nervous that rule changes would force them to hike menu prices or even lay off staff. Joining us now to talk about the latest fight in the war over tipping is Scott Weiner. He is co-owner of Chicago's 50-50 restaurant group. Scott, it's good to see you this morning. How nervous are you getting and what are the prospects you think that this passes? I think it's a pretty good chance that it is going to 
So I know the mayor's tying this to the budget. And, um, you know, the aldermen are hesitant to vote against this mayor. Why is it such a big deal to you if, if this actually happens? It's happened in, in another state, obviously, and it's California. And it was many, many years ago. You know, obviously, that. They're getting by, I guess. Um, what's the big problem here? Uh, California is barely getting by. It's not a great place to open up a restaurant. Um, 62%, that's going to be the increase to my front of the house labor. And, you know, coming through a pandemic with inflation, as you just said, it's just really not a great time to start upending an entire restaurant, you know, industry in Chicago based on political rhetoric. And that's really what it feels like. So an employee says, you know what, I just want to be paid the fifteen eighty per hour rather than have to rely on the generosity of a customer who just may not tip well. What's the problem with that? Well, the reality is that the restaurant's making sure and covering up to the fifteen eighty, And I would, I would suggest that probably 90 to 95 percent of the tipped employees in Chicago are making well above $20. In fact, Illinois Restaurant Association offered the administration that we would guarantee tip employees made at least $20 an hour. That was rejected, um, which sort of tells me that this really isn't about wages. And, you know, further, further, where I get nervous is that this is going to bring a lot of restaurants into what's called the service charge model. And in a service charge model, unfortunately, a lot of the people that the administration is trying to help are actually going to be hurt and probably make far less because in the service charge, which is considered revenue by the IRS, ultimately owners can do whatever they want with that capital. And that could go towards kitchen benefits. It can go through anything. So I don't really think that the city of Chicago's mayor really understands exactly what he's doing right now. These changes. And all we're really asking is, you know, sit back. Let's identify what we're trying to do here, who we really want to help purposes and let's try to find something in the middle that works forever. Would you consider raising your menu prices if this happened? Well, you know, we've been raising menu prices and that's been one of the biggest challenges during inflation is the prices up, up, up. We've actually started to bring them down. And because we're just talking Chicago, not the entire state, when people want to look at our menu prices and also see, oh, those guys are expensive. I'm going to go eat in the suburbs or I'm going to throw our convention in another state. It really isn't a good look for us. Additionally, everybody knows that you can order for less money by picking up your food. So it's not just a one-stop shop, go and raise your prices. Because ultimately, I think most people know when they dine out that they're expected to leave a gratuity. And, you know, one way to make sure they do is just add service charge. How's business, generally speaking? You have 13 brands, 17 of the locations you have are in Chicago. Just give us a read on, on how business is at this particular time when we've been talking, uh, as you know, a lot these days about how s seemingly strong, you know, the consumer certainly has been. And maybe that's thinning out at least somewhat. But what's your view? You know, what I'm seeing right now is in the neighborhood restaurants, specifically the ones we have where we're family dependent but traffic is down, uh, downtown in the Chicago Loop, especially where businesses are trying to get their people back to work. We're seeing a lot of corporate spending. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, you think it's boom time. Mondays and Fridays, it's not quite the same downtown. So there's there's a little bit of everything going on. 
ultimately my group is running flat from last year. Uh, we're above in the corporate sort of private event spending world and we're down in foot traffic, especially with families. Scott, we'll see you soon. Appreciate you joining us this morning. Scott Weiner. Thanks so much. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Scott Wapner and Steve Leisman for sitting in. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Get the smartest analysis and best interviews from our TV show right in your ears when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Rate or review Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think. That's it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.